So Sai Krishna, welcome to the show, man. Thanks for doing this. Glad to be here. Yeah. Uh, so, dude. So, like your company's capex and the acquisition done by Flipkart, everything is super impressive. So, before going to the company itself, before talking about the success story itself, I want to know the background story. That's like you know, I want to know about about your college life. You know, what are the cool stuff that you did in college, or how was your education like? Can you talk about it? Really feel ancient now, dude. Uh, my journey started back in the days when I was an engineering undergrad, right? I was sort of your textbook definition of an accidental entrepreneur. My journey started back when, during college, my life revolved around uh, the canteen, how to bunk my classes, and then possibly where do I go after I bunk my classes. In between all of this, I think I was fortunate enough to be exposed to the concept of building orgs or building uh, building products that people actually like using, right? and yeah. it's it's a statement that we often overuse but at the same point not realize enough which is creating something that people want is a hard hard task so on that uh, i started my journey back in the days by authoring or trying to create some very simple applications as well as use cases that uh, had a bunch of novel uh, fits in the education space so we used okay. to build learning management systems uh, pieces of software that was useful for at tech companies to use so on and so forth. Oh. I eventually took my learnings from there scale that company out uh, to more than about 12000 kids who were able to use some of our solutions wow. and then went on to try building my next firm which was in the uh, AI space. So what we tried building there was how do we have layers of AI in order to facilitate uh, intelligence mm. between uh, interfaces like WhatsApp which are conversational in nature and how do you then have like services which can sort of reside on top of this um, chat bots were sort of ba- a, a thing back in the days then wow from there i then subsequently went on to have a small trust in entrepreneurship at stanford got back to india and wow. uh, in and around this time was was where i started looking at how does the world evolve over the next 3 5 and 8 odd years right and okay. we call this the arc of computing of sorts and this arc of computing is largely how devices have sort of changed and we sort of came into this belief that you're going to have ar and vr interfaces that are yeah. going to become an important part of how the arc of computing moves forward so on that is where i started building scapic through uh scapic was a startup in the virtual and augmented reality space and we made it really simple for brands businesses and enterprises to author their own experiences and put it out there mm-hmm. so built scapic for about 2 and a half years and that's when we realized there was a sweet spot in e-commerce and uh, we subsequently uh, sort of from there scaled that out through and uh, currently run flipkart camera uh, which is our mm-hmm. initiatives in terms of trying to see how ar can be uh, impacting um, over 100 million odd indians in terms of how they shop online wow and when you told about like so when was like the first venture that you started like where were you like in in, in which in which university and what was your age by that uh i guess i would have been around 19 years old in a bangalore based engineering college called arthi college of engineering and that's where my first trust with uh, building uh, my first startup started wow so like you uh, all the startups that you started actually everything got like you know success 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 itself you, like you never had like a downfall story any failed projects or something like that the funny interesting part about uh, stories when you look retrospect right is we only identify the dots which were successful so between three odd projects that had positive outcomes i think yeah. there were a dozen if not more than a dozen which didn't pan out right okay and i th- i think that's the 
beautiful thing about building companies, projects, and startups, right? Nobody focuses on the dozen ones that didn't work. You literally yeah. need to get it right once, right? So yeah. it's about maximizing upside as compared to minimizing downside. And that's largely how entrepreneurs grow through, right? like uh, optimism that if I get it right once, I would be able to compensate for the number of times I might have made a mistake. At some point. So that's- I've made plenty of mistakes more than I've gotten things right. uh i i just think over a period of time we all just uh, we, we all just remember the outcomes that went well and learn to yeah. forget the ones that don't because we learn from them and then possibly become better at the next thing that we try after that so failure is an inevitable step uh towards actually getting to the end point which is building something useful yeah it's so true like even like uh, the startup that i have worked with right uh, what i also understood the point that you made that uh, it's all about like if you give 10 shots there will be one shot that you give it might actually compensate with all the nine things nine shots that went failed so what you told actually makes sense and uh, you talking i just feel like so you always were a founder or working for a startup that you have built or did you ever did like an internship or a job at any place interestingly i did intern at a really large uh, semiconductor firm at one point of time in life uh, my goal back then was to walk in learn everything new about the concept of building uh, silicon and, yeah. and 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 sort of designing things in that i carried cups of chai for my managers right so uh, it taught me a little in terms of how big organizations work and it taught me a lot on why smaller companies and startups have the advantage of speed and velocity over uh, much of the larger ones out there Oh, that's so true and that's what gets me thinking right like whenever we like the moment a person graduates or something i feel it adds more value for you to work in a startup than actually in a very huge multinational corporation in the start itself because you get to experiment more with the startup compared to the company very true yeah i think and that's inevitable by design right a big company is risk averse in nature right the goal is in order to maximize shareholder value and then by you're sort of building things and moving forward while minimizing risk as you go ahead a startup yeah. inherently is a risky yeah. bet right it yeah. is a contrarian view on where the world is going which is in itself having a lot of risk with it and yeah. then trying to get that bet right so which is why entrepreneurs as well as large org uh, leaders are very different in, in terms of the way they view the world neither of which is necessarily wrong is this that yeah. two different companies of very different scales sizes and priorities require very different ways of running them through one that fosters risk while the other tries to minimize that risk that's true and uh, even when we look at the risk ratio and i feel at a young age you can take much better risk and you know you can actually try to get better outcome and what i have seen with you like uh, you told about the ad, ad tech app that you have created and even the scapex what was something that you did right or what was that sauce or some tips or trick that you have did it right that others couldn't do that you have achieved what you have achieved was there anything right. like specific that you want to share about i think interestingly one of the larger lessons that i learned through the course of building firms is that the market always wins right what do i mean by that is if you're a if you're a bad team and you still exist in a good market you're still going to do fine because the market yeah. always wins Yeah. uh if you are a great team and you exist in a really average market not going to do that great because the market always wins yeah legendary companies are born if incredible teams meet incredible markets so as entrepreneurs we tend to forget more often that large growing markets 
are just as important for success as much as about your execution uh the way that you build things out or your engineering ability per se all these three are important but uh, i think the market tends to be an afterthought while usually in terms of uh, a predicator of success of failure the market's probably the most important part of it so chase big large opportunities because the effort it takes in order to build a really large opportunity org versus a really small one is probably mm-hmm. the same so you're climbing a mountain either ways might as well choose a really good peak to climb that's so true and even if you if you talk about the market right so when you were when you were probably building up scape because the other companies that you have built it was mostly toward tacking client companies weren't there were like criticism towards you telling that it's so early for india or you doing it uh, in india is not right it could it could better work on in uh, work out in a western countries was this ever a thought for you because uh, like right now uh, looking at the condition of the whole market situation so i think largely it is easier now than ever to build a company that has no borders to it, right it has no reason to be restricted geographically uh, yeah. in the current scenarios that we are in um, i truly believe the next big thing coming out of india is no longer going to serve only india as a market we've yeah. already noticed great saas companies that have started to be cross border or global in nature uh, mm. right from their inception and this trend is only going to continue yeah. so there are significant cost arbitrages as well as knowledge arbitrages that uh, a country like india builds it, right the ability to launch a startup here is faster the capital required in order to build meaningful companies is a fraction and the knowledge or the talent pool that is available for you to go there is significant so across okay. all of these three you can actually build companies that are no longer just focusing on india Okay. and that's largely how we started things through us as well which is how do we hmm. pick a big problem that is global in nature and not just india specific right now that that's cool and even that that that's even much more inspiring because there are very few companies which have innovated directly from india and it it's been passed globally and when companies like scapeek or any other just comes and it it works for the whole global economy or the global clients it actually adds on a lot, lot of value and i want to ask you so before the whole company started like uh, what was the story like whose idea was it and how was those initial days of discussion like how did you like uh, can you tell about like you know when a company is getting started you de- you decide about the logo you decide about like the vision of the company and uh, taking the right people in so can you tell that story of the company so i think one of the most fabled myths with respect to building orgs is that you wake up with an idea in your mind right yeah. like uh, if you do then please recalibrate uh, i don't think ideas inevitably sort of form through in your head uh, when they get started ideas are incredibly fragile and also are not validated whatsoever when you get started so yeah. i don't think many of the large companies today have light bulb moments as such they all mm-hmm. have very deliberate parts of the process where you uncover and learn more about your customer and sort of fine tune uh, what is important in your stack or in your product which is really useful for the people that you're trying to cater to so it's a mm-hmm. process and not this aha moment of sorts yeah so on that note just in order to get skipic out together i think it took us a few months in terms of understanding deeply about the customers that we're going after and what are we really trying to help them make in their lives better at that point of time okay outside that i think everything else is an afterthought your org does not need you to have a cool logo a cool color palette a cool brand in the early stages 
what it does require is people who are willing to line up outside your uh, your website and possibly plonk in their email id and their credit card so i think more often if we are able to take the basics more serious as well as the frivolous components less seriously i think you have a meaningful organization that you can build from there wow so initially how many members were the team and uh, like how how did it work along like initial days of scapeic like what was your initial customer target was and how did you acquire them broadly the team was nothing more than two members because me and my co-founder ajay uh, we started in a deep dingy dark room much uh, like any other startup has in its uh, in its in its earliest format the goal back then was to probably just make people care right mm. what do i mean by that is just show a large audience as to what is possible in virtual and augmented reality to begin with and mm. eventually allow them the opportunity to either be involved in the space or experience mm. the space right because much unlike most of the sectors uh, vr and ar is so new at this point that uh, you need to start off being a teacher first and then eventually a sales person and then eventually a saas startup that is sort of built on top of the first two so our initial kpis were sort of optimized around how many people get to learn about the technology how many people are curious about what the technology is and eventually how many of them would sort of filter through into the standpoint of wanting to use tools or authoring platforms that makes mm-hmm. life simple for brands and businesses to make uh, or build such experiences so given the sort of three layer prioritization index that we had at least we were fairly clear of where the world was going and how we are sort of playing along tag with it and mm-hmm. uh, inevitably what happens is the opportunity is global in this case because there is no reason to differentiate between um, an indian versus uh, someone from usa versus someone from say uh, in parts of europe or we have we had clients even from new zealand so wow. these all have the same set of problems at at the end of the day and once you sort of are able to identify and pattern match between them the solution that you're building has no borders or is agnostic to the place that you're launching it from from day one yeah makes sense and uh, when 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 we when we were bring, building this whole empire right like when we are trying to get the whole global client or trying to get the whole global recognition and at uh, which point of the time did you feel that you know it can actually scale and it can actually you know it's that it can be like the next uh, best thing like did you actually investors found you or like did you get opportunities directly or did you actually go out to seek funding or any of that sort so the moment of time that you're talking about is uh, broadly addressed as product market fit right product yeah. market fit is when what you're building versus what the market wants from a solution like yours sort of has yeah. great deals of synergies between themselves that more customers are lining up outside your door than you can hack it yeah. these movements are what every startup works closely towards right and you yeah. never know when it's actually arrived uh, but when it does it's always evident that uh, what happens after product market fit is sort of steep growth um for what your org is uh, building out to be yeah. our journey in sort of searching out pmf was a 12 month affair uh, we started with building out a rudimentary vr and ar editor first up where people can generate any sort of experience that they wanted so mm-hmm. this involved use cases from education companies banks uh, real estate companies and training companies sort of broadly building out a swath of experiences in the hundreds of thousands when they got started mm-hmm. it then went on to become specific around e-commerce right we started to notice yeah. that our most repetitive customers at any point of time were either marketing a product or selling a product to hmm. we then started to optimize the org around that and build a core product that was catering specifically to the e-commerce stack and once we started doing that started to power global brands as a part of that process hmm. 
so this is a this was not instantaneous this was not a checklist but rather uh, a long slow tedious process where it's a it's it's not even a straight line it's a bunch of zigzag mm. paths that you take to actually reach to the destination and the destination being your customers like the product that you have to offer you're willing to pay for mm. the product at a certain price point that you think you've uncovered and you are now able to scale this gracefully without necessarily throwing too much people or too much advertising money behind the product mm. that you build so that's sort of uh, that's sort of a framework i think there are incredible frameworks out there for finding product market fit for your company for us it was broadly around the e-commerce space and uh, where we saw mid market as well as enterprise customers starting to come back and wanting better product experiences that could be built using scape itself yeah great because you know even in the e-com sector like i feel that uh, especially in the time of covid or even before that like it has shown like a very huge boom and even that's the reason right like uh, uh e-com sectors like shopify or woocommerce like this got like a really huge uh, attention right now and uh, when we when we are trying to build on tools for them uh there would always be like a competition or like you know th- there there will always be someone else that you want to look up to so what was those companies or what was those people that you as a person or scapic as a company looked up to or wanted to follow a framework like was there any of that sort i would broadly look at two areas like one is obsession the second is awareness uh and we tend to do these two in a in a, in, a, in a inversion which is we obsess over our competition and we are aware of our customer while mm-hmm. 99% of the time it needs to be the other way around sort of have to obsess over your customer and be aware that there is another person also trying to obsess over your customer which is your competition that's it yeah honestly the chances of you living or dying as a startup is significantly higher because of your own actions or inaction to your customers as compared to your competitor coming and eating your lunch so from the time when we got started our focus was laser sharp which is build something that the org can cater to a specific customer and make them happy and mm-hmm. as we do that find a way to replicate that at scale and as you do that competition honestly doesn't matter it's not like the it competition doesn't exist but it's just that if you're going to spend your life optimizing for how you're going to please your customer over one feature outside your competition you're only going to spend yeah. your time trying to optimize for that one extra feature and not really understand what the customer wants or they want so for us yeah. it was the other way around we spoke we listened we actually listened more than we spoke hopefully uh, to see what users yeah. wanted and thereby then uh, look at the way that good products can be built up from that and it's not just us i think there are iconic companies in the past who have completely shut away the concept of uh, uh, competing with another company and simply focused on building the best possible product for their users a similar ex- uh, a similar example could be given to the likes of say canva right mm. so when a graphic authoring tool like canva is sort of building its own core product around they're not looking to compete with adobe right they're not looking to compete with say a photoshop stack or uh, some mm. or a coral draw or anything of that they are looking to build the simplest product available for their specific set of users in order to yeah. go out there and express themselves in terms of making reasonably palatable designs that can actually pop yeah. now to do that what you need to focus on is the people who are using your product not the people who are running advertising spends over a 20 year old company that's out there so more time obsessing over your customers and less time being aware of them yeah. and uh, and the framework that you have got like the way you're thinking like the whole business model that you have built up to like all the things that you have done what was the major things that actually contributed to your mindset or the whole culture of scape 
like was there like the time that you spent in stanford or was there that thing that the experience that you gathered because of the future pro like the past projects that you have done what is the what are the major contribution to your mindset towards looking at the startup and being customer focused to this much right so startups are inevitable reflections of their founding teams right and yeah. we've noticed this across multiple other firms that have existed in life so if you are a part of co leadership that's shaping your startup out i would say look at the framework of building culture into your org as three steps the first step is align everyone on context and why your firm exists in itself right okay. we so often get sucked on the day to day building part that we often forget the larger reasons as to why the org or the person or the team sort of has come into existence the second is in order to reiterate this often enough so that it doesn't look like a mission vision statement that is uh, usually stuck onto the urinal you actually need to follow through with the things that you commit and the third is try to see whether it is actually relevant useful uh, as well as uh, resonating with people outside your company what do i mean by people outside your company is your users yeah so it's not uh, if you just write five abstract values and say you are bold chivalrous daring and uh, just just throw that into your office wall and then all of you guys say to each other and none of your customers believe that that's actually happening there's no point in that again right so align context between internal stakeholders ensure that you're iterating this to its most true format so that you're able to follow through with values as compared to just writing them out and make a deliberate effort to help your customers see the world the way you do and if you only if you're able to do these three well are you actually having a virtuous cycle of culture that is able to self sustain itself and when you do have that that's a very strong force to uh, sort of take itself forward the best companies out there have some of the uh, most reputable culture building mechanisms that are uh, present inside these orgs and it shows right? like the kind of quality of people that sort of come in versus churn out of that sort of firm over mm. months if not years tends to be a league or a notch higher than anything mm. else out there that's that's true and i feel that this this culture and not more not just words but actually work actually plays a major role because uh, most of the startups that even i have worked with like you know i have seen i realized mm. that what they actually say and what the actually the product is is very different and they just carried away with some notion of uh, you know a steve jobs or a social network and uh, actually forget the core values that the product at last is the real motivation that itself makes sense so that's the reason i asked you that question and uh, i want to ask you like so what was the time like you know the flipkart acquisition of with the scapic went on and uh, how was how did that happen like i want to know that moment and that time that time period of your life interesting probably uh, probably three digits now in terms of me repeating that story through but uh, i think the two large things that i would mention is companies are bought not sold right like which is you yeah. have to create a sensation that this is valuable inside a larger org and uh, over a period of time help them see the same vision that you do in terms of a collaborative effort that is going to take uh, this journey farther faster yeah. and that's largely what happened between us at scapic and flipkart there was a shared belief that a world post covid is going mm. to have virtual reality and augmented reality as a really important pillar in mm. terms of how you're shopping online yeah. number one and number two is in order to make this happen for 100 150 million indians 
you need to start building the foundations of how experiences are built, shared, and accessed by uh, by a huge number of users uh, concurrently. And to make this happen, you require a very stable technology platform that is able to facilitate yeah. this through for you. And that's yeah. largely where this became uh, a win-win yeah. uh, in terms of our engineering capability, as well as yeah. Flipkart's distribution prowess being the most important e-commerce destination in India. And uh, sort of see from there how we're able to play onto these strengths. So that the next time when you're shopping online, uh, you actually start using the camera even more and using that as an important part of your purchase consideration. Yeah. And then eventually, the more number of times you open the camera, and the camera, the more confident you are as a customer. That's that, that's so incredible. And uh, I feel so like what right now. So what is what is going on in your life, or what is what whatever is going on, sleeping right now? Like uh, we have come to the present moment. So what are you working on? Like any recent projects or anything, future ventures that you're curious about? Plenty. Um, I think there are some areas which have sort of significantly moved forward. Uh, from the last time we looked at AR and VR from a vantage point, I think uh, yeah. decentralization is going to play a huge role in terms of how some of these spaces are going to go forward with. Uh, I think the conversation around what a metaverse is, what a useful metaverse can be, and how yeah. commerce can happen across a digital first medium is going to become even more important over the next 12 to 24 months. Okay. And in between these fronts, what becomes foundational is that your life is about your smartphone. Your smartphone is about your camera. And what happens on your camera is now going to be entertaining you, making you purchase more or making you look better, right? It's as simple yeah. as that. So Absolutely. given that this is largely how your life revolves around, uh, we just think that AR and VR, the metaverse, as well as the ways decentralization would work on top of that, like NFTs, as well as what you could do with proof of ownership is going to be really interesting to see as a trifecta of things that is able to move the world forward, not just from a commerce standpoint, but more from just an information dissipation standpoint and see where that's going. So for us, I think we spend a lot of time trying to understand where that sort of a world is going, make multiple bets, some pan out, some don't. Hopefully the ones that pan out are able to eclipse the ones that don't like we discussed. Yeah. And uh, so apart from like the whole startup world, apart from all these things, what, what else do you like to do? Like, do you, I mean, a sport that you love or what, which movies did you watch recently? Like, do you want to talk about it? Very interesting. Uh, I think recently it's been just an obsession over specific science fiction books. I think anybody who's trying to build uh, build companies should probably spend more time reading science fiction, probably because it makes it makes for an interesting guesstimation as to where the world will move. Uh, so yeah. Of course, it's like wildly uh, uh, out of whack, uh, but at the same point of time, it's very interesting to see how these authors think. Uh, think technology can facilitate mankind as it sort of goes forward. That's one. Yeah. Uh, the other is, uh, I think the team and I are obsessed over the game of cricket. So I think yeah. more often than not, when we're not in front of our laptops, I think you should, you should see us in front of a pitch and uh, probably yeah. having a bowl there. So it, it spins over, right? Like the passion to the game is also what you bring to passion to work. Uh, the way you build teams is fairly similar on both sides. Uh, the amount yeah. of context that your most important player has should be as important as your least important player. And nobody is the least important player. Then, right? yeah. So, so much of team building in, is, is sort of consistent between sports and startups, which is why some of the best performing startups out there are like sports companies and not like families. Yeah. Right? Like we, we often keep saying startups are like families, they're not. Right? Like startups are more like, like an MBA team. Right? The yeah. best ones probably end up winning or having the spoils of war. 
it is yeah. important for you to understand who and how you are able to optimize for the ones who are really good out yeah. there uh, actually the point you made is really interesting like you know usually because whenever a person starts up a company or you know we think we tend to think our whole team as a family and the moment we think it as like you know the whole family is there there, there are more emotions involved than actually the work and the moment you think like the way you told like nba team or the moment you think as team what we do is uh, we double down on the strengths and try to minimize the weaknesses and that's actually a better anal- analogy to follow i agree with it and for sure for sure i think largely and treating yourself like a family is not a wrong thing per se right i just think you have to find the right balance between head heart and hands if i were to put it in one what, what do i even mean by that is your heart's got to do some of the decision making which is empathy first putting people first etc your hands have to do the dirty work of actually executing things that are really important for your startup on a daily basis and your head has to rationalize this between the core goals that are important because at the end of the day you're building a company and not a hobby right if you're building yeah. a hobby of course like you can you can always have more heart on that than head but uh, i think if you're able to strike the right ratio between the thought that goes into org building uh, the work that goes into daily tasks and execution as well yeah. as the heart that goes into building a team that actually has the same set of shared values Yeah. foundationally i think you're in a very sweet spot in which case yeah, that's true and even uh, actually you should read this book called uh, a book by asmao called the foundation series like since you told that you're into science fiction you should actually read it like uh, because it also talks about uh, the whole uh, human human race and it kinds of bends the scientific truths and principles sometimes but it's science fiction like yeah. of course it's gotcha. told in the john right self but you should actually read it because it actually caters both the points about looking towards into the future and also making people like treating people as a team instead you know not having like the whole emotional gesture into it should actually Super go through this book yeah yeah and uh, even i want to ask you so whenever we are trying to build a startup or like uh, i feel that the whole our whole passion self and the professional self come together there's a lot of our personality involved a lot of people like stakeholders get involved and in the whole journey of you creating scapeg or you doing all this works was there any time that you really got bored like with the inevitable right i think there are sinusoidal waves to any person doing anything over a prolonged period of time yeah uh, you are going to have these where you feel on top of the world you're going to feel uh, yeah. absolute shit on other days it's yeah. uh, in fact i i do believe founders go through more emotional peaks and troughs than probably any other class of uh, people um, on on a on a weekly or a monthly basis yeah. so given that it's a volatile unforgiving thankless job or often than not and you know light at the end of the tunnel is few and far the only way you'll be able to sustain and do something of long term value and impact is uh, is if you're able to have fun while you're doing it right like uh, yeah, sure. if work feels fun that is probably the only reason why you will last uh, you will sort of uh, stick it through for years as compared to not burn out mm. so if there are moments or days where you feel absolute garbage well welcome to the world right like mm. it's inevitable that you feel that uh, but yeah. if over a period of time you're able to recalibrate right after a shitty phase that uh, you're actually doing something which has a larger purpose and a broader reason uh, that mm. you believe in the, the team believes in as well as uh, the net positive of doing mm. this is outweighing the net negative of uh, of neither not doing it or uh, going to some other option like a corporate job that should be enough fuel or hopefully enough fuel in order to yeah. keep people so everyone has back pains employees founders everyone in between it's just about how do you take a punch 
look at the larger reason why you're doing this and mm. probably find enough willpower in order to then pick yourself up and go forward from there. Yeah. And even I actually like tell me like do you think it's a good idea or not? Like because I've been thinking recently that the companies we have been working the companies that we are the founding team of we were just thinking that instead of actually hiring like a full time employees we just want to have people for like you know 6 or 7 months whoever or not on the technical side because if you like you know the moment 6 or 7 months get completed like it could be regarding to the research and development it could be going to the marketing and all this side the whole the creative juice the new newness in the team actually goes off so better to hire like the new new people again so that we get again the newer inputs do you think it's a good idea interesting broadly if i were to look at it as uh, as an equation with variables right you have, you have only two variables in case you have people and you have things that people do right yeah. the work now your suggestion is that the work remains constant while the people sort of churn or uh, come in and churn out over a period of time yeah. because this work inevitably gets these guys bored uninspired fatigued tired mm. collaborate yeah right so there is one variable where the work remains constant while the people sort of change uh, purely mm. because this work sort of not changing at all another variable is probably when you decide hey here is my core team these guys are not going to go anywhere Yeah. but if i lose them i'm in deep trouble so the yeah. only way i'm able to retain them is if i change work in a meaningful enough manner over a period of time so that i either show them progress i either show them more breadth of work or i allow them to engage in ways that their previous iteration of work did not allow them to do so so let's say let's put a timer of 6 months on this in 6 months you can possibly get someone in kick someone out because the work remains constant or in 6 months you can either get someone in give them a specific piece of work and at the end of the 6 month replace that with something else that is more intellectually gratifying and sort of continue that process so that this side remains constant while this side changes neither mm-hmm. is necessarily a right or a wrong answer it's really upon what you optimize uh if you're optimizing for a for an org that is having people who have deep amounts of context and experience that sort of is built through then the work uh-huh. changes if you're optimizing for Uh, if you're optimizing for a BPO call center-ish job where the work necessarily does not change at all, uh, yeah. then you're optimizing for a funnel which is leaky. Right, you allow the people to come in and go because the processes and the work is constant, while the people are fairly basically. So different industries, different use cases probably require different ways of answering the same question. Yeah, that's true. And the the interesting answer is, you know, when you gave me the variable analogy, it actually makes much more sense for me because. actually if i think about it even with the work i can actually try to change it up like you know uh, exchanging the work between people because anyway everyone have contact with everyone so they can uh, pull in the ideas of different departments and it will diversify the whole team itself it actually makes sense yeah i'm glad like uh, i think you say let's take an example of someone who is stitching a t-shirt right there are only so many ways you can stitch stitch a t-shirt it's a very rigid workflow or a process you can't change much right like so if you're stitching a t-shirt as a tailor for 6 months there's no way of the 7th month you can actually stitch it differently there is it's got two yeah. two pockets for arms one pocket for a neck now it's not the same thing with creative work right at the end of the day the field is creative by very definition you sort of allow yourself the chance or the opportunity in order to change things up to a point where work can be interesting and not yeah. necessarily uh, the same thing that you regurgitate on a daily basis So, depending on the industry, some industries might require a tailor. Some industries might require a designer, right? Like, yeah. so a fashion designer and a tailor are not two different. 
it's just that yeah. the one of them does far more creatively fulfilling work while the other person does far more rudimentary sort of daily uh, routine uh, work per se and yeah. this is largely how two industries can optimize itself yeah and when we ha- when we are dealing with even people like uh, what are those major quality checks or what are the major traits that you look at while hiring like you have worked with all these different founders you could have also met a lot of people in the whole course of journey what are those qualities or traits that a person comes in that uh, they are not uh, easy to let go of what are those things that you take care before hiring someone in escape right so we typically say we invest in uh, the slope and not the y axis what we mean by that is we like to sort of hire someone not because they have two years three years five years eight years of experience in the space but rather their ability to learn as well as their hunger to learn right like one sure you can have a ton of ability but if you're not necessarily the most motivated person out there to learn something yeah i'm going to learn it. you're not going to learn it fast but at the same point of time if you have the right hunger and the attitude in order to go about learning something i at least we are of the belief that you are able to inculcate knowledge yeah. uh, at a curve which is comparative and fast and thereby apply that in a meaningful way to the things that you do so you would find that scapex sort of always has had a very young team which is ranged between 21 and about 26 years old uh, and that's broadly where the average out as an age group itself and so what we tend to optimize on is uh, ways that we be able to help someone learn fast and then apply their learning onto something that is useful on the daily uh, on the daily work that they might do wow so how like actually just in a one interview call in a, or in one application how can you identify their bandwidth to learn something or how can you identify this trait it's not easy uh, i don't i definitely think it, it it can't be done in one interview per se uh, what is important there is to properly build a period of uh, resonance between how you think versus how they think uh, yeah. i think some of the most important hires are very rarely done across the table in one conversation yeah, and most of true. these are done over a period of time where you get to understand the person and then possibly try to see where they can be a good fit across both or so soft landing over about 90 days is uh, is something that we we have always liked or preferred which is provide the opportunity for the person to come and experience the office on day one and then start a conversation start the conversation where they're able to show mm-hmm. them this world um, start a conversation where they're able to learn more about the industry and then eventually at the end of say 2 3 months is when you then have the uh, you then have the uh, the talk of uh, what would it make sense for them to come join the team so it's longer slower and more painful but definitely uh, more mm-hmm. sensible than trying to assess a person over a 30 minute conversation as to whether they have the hunger or the ability to learn. Yeah, that's true. And uh, so I want to I want to end the conversation with this note where like you know I got like a lot of messages the moment I told you I'm doing it with you is regarding towards the there were two questions like uh, straightly asking you uh, how to approach a VC or how to approach a company for funding who you think that you can help that company to grow also without having like the right network pool if you don't have any and the second thing is what is that initial things the ingredients that you add on your pitch that can actually help you to get much more funding in the initial rounds itself interesting here uh, i think capital is a function of either a push mechanism or a pull mechanism right which is yeah. you can either be known enough in the industry that you're able to push your way through or just create enough interest with your users that the capital sort of follows with you a pull is always more respected and more useful than a push mechanism Uh, and ways that one founders can do that if they're not necessarily the most networked in the vc space is to build in the open right what do i mean by build in the open is 
get started building your company and be absolutely transparent about the process of building it over every mm. week or every two weeks where you're able to showcase that this is where my journey is this is where i'm going and this is how i'm able to build an audience around this and once you're able to start building in the open you create for a meaningful sort of way that someone on the outside can look learn and understand uh what goes on in the company behind the scenes and when you build in the open you're able to create a easy way for not just vcs but both your customers as well as your uh, as well as if you're a b2b startup companies to understand what goes on behind the scenes so i would highly recommend that as an approach in order to uh, shorten the fuse between getting these introductions per se because you're then able to generate interest yourself and the second part is with respect to what should you include in your pitch deck is nothing fancy i would say about 10 to 15 slides that broadly talk about how large is the problem that you're solving why the market is 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 at a great point of time to have this problem solved and also the timing of which why does a startup like yours need to exist in the world today in 2021 and why couldn't have this been built in say 2 years before now or why would it be too late to build this 2 years after now okay. because one of the most one of again one of the fairly underrated parts about building firms is uh, the part on timing right market timing is just as important as what you're building in the first place so explaining the rationale behind great timing goes a long way in helping people understand why an opportunity like the one you're presenting to them has a great timing sense uh, for where it's up to right now wow it it actually it, it's actually good so the point you made gets to me this question that uh, whenever we come across few ideas right like when whenever we come across we have to judge few ideas or whenever we have to judge few startups uh, how can we actually judge in that uh, 15 of 15 minutes meeting that we have that this is actually startup which can suit the right time because most of the pitches that even i get it gets portrayed in a way that you know this is the right thing happening right now it also has an industry so how can we actually judge by ourselves that this is a time that we can invest in this startup i mean there are a hundred frameworks i guess uh, one of the more interesting ones is probably what the founders at google used to use it's called a toothbrush test it's called a toothbrush test which is uh, if you're able to use this product every day twice a day um that's a starting point where something is sticky something is useful and something is going to sort of remain in your life as a consumer product over a period of time mm-hmm. um this is sort of the most rudimentary way of trying to understand and assess whether something is useful or not uh, there are multiple frameworks there is one where you have like say grade nps scores at the end of january to collate mm-hmm. that and try to see whether users like it or not but i think if you're just looking and evaluating ideas from a very very uh, basic mm-hmm. standpoint a toothbrush test toothbrush test for mm-hmm. as much as it is a tongue twister is also yeah. useful way for you to get started yeah. so do you have any any recommendations or any books or any lectures that you have went through like in regards towards this journey of business or engineering or anything that gets you towards this good frameworks that you have right now or is it um, all a couple of books i think broadly i would recommend a book called uh, crossing the chasm uh and the second one is shoe dog by chel nike yeah um, i read shoe dog the story of nike yeah, yeah. it's a shoe dog the stupendously good book um the more recent ones that i think are uh, are interesting is hit refresh which was a story about how microsoft sort of was able to turn yeah, yeah. its tides around um under new leadership from satya nadella and how it was very different from the steve bomber era so on and so forth so these are some books that are like pretty cool so uh, there there are also a few more which are like specific towards uh entrepreneurship such as the lean startup methodology um uh, as well as a few more that uh, i would highly recommend in terms of uh, design centric thinking and anything around the intersection between design lean startups as well as what entrepreneurship could reach yeah. i think these are the sort of books that can go a long way in, uh, in, in 
sort of getting a lot of value. ప్రాజెక్ట్స్ ఐ బీన్ డూయింగ్ అండ్ స్టే ఇన్ టచ్ థ్యాంక్స్ ఫర్ డూయింగ్ దిస్ సౌండ్స్ ఆఫ్ 